out of the snow, but glad you guys weathered through. I was uh, uh, unsure if I would get out of my driveway. I woke up foolishly and did not prepare for what was out there, but thankfully I made it and so did you. Uh, we are in Colossians, so let me invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 3. One of the things that we love to do as a family is go to the zoo. Any other zoo lovers out there? And really, our favorite one within three hours, even over Indi- Indianapolis Zoo, is the Fort Wayne Zoo. If you ever get a chance to go there, obviously we're not right now, but the Fort Wayne Zoo, in our opinion, is the best zoo in Indiana. And one of the questions that we ask every time on the way home is, is this. If, if you could have any animal as a pet that we saw today, and it was guaranteed not to eat you, what would it be? What would you choose? I know one of my favorite things is the lion. And I love going to Potawatomi Zoo because the lions are always roaring. And it's one of the things that when we hear it roaring, we go running to the lions because it's just, just, just to hear that sound. And, I mean, it, I've heard that that sound can, like, penetrate miles uh, from, from that. And so when we go there, we're trying to get the lion riled up. But here's the thing. I, the last thing I want in my house is a pet lion. And it... And it's amazing, I mean, have you, have you noticed that how many people actually own exotic pets, like lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I mean, I'll, like, people actually own and raise these exotic animals. And the thing that never ceases to amaze me is when these animals attack. Have you ever watched those, like, when animals attack shows? Like, sinfully, probably so. Sometimes I'm like, man, I hope they get him. <laughs> Like, who in the right mind is raising these animals? And then it, it's even more amazing that they're, like, shocked. Like, I, I've seen owners that are shocked. I can't believe it attacked. I can't believe this lion attacked me. We've been such good buddies. Like, they have never shown any kind of aggression. And I'm like, I can, I can help you understand why they attacked you. Because their nature, they're predators. And their favorite food is meat. And you are made out of meat. <laughs> Why do people have these exotic animals that can maul them as pets? But you know, the reality is we often have this wild animal that we try to tame in our lives. That animal is sin. And often, just like a lion, we're trying to put a leash on it. We try to hide it in the closet. We don't want anybody else to know about it. And yet, sin, if we don't bring it to the light, will, like a lion, one day attack us. And so here's what I want to talk about today. The the title of this sermon, if you like to write down titles, is this. Put sin to death. Put sin to death. Follow along with me. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse Five. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace your mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the reminder. Lord, may Christ be magnified in our lives, in the way that we live, in the way that we talk, in the way that we love one another, in the way that we carry ourselves. May you be magnified in everything, Lord. May you be exalted in our lives, Lord, because truly are, whether we do it or not, Christ is exalted over all things. God, we need you. And I ask that you would move powerfully this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see what we need to see, Lord. I pray that you would convict us deeply of the sin that we are guilty of. I pray that you would remind us of the hope in the gospel, though, Lord, that we would not live in shame continuously, but that we would repent and we would find forgiveness in your gospel. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him, Lord. May he be glorified and lifted up this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this text, all throughout this book of Colossians, we've had these connector words. And here again, we see in verse 5, put to death. What's the next word? Therefore. And you're going to get sick of me. (laughs) When we see it, therefore, what do we do? We ask why it's there for, right? What's it there for? And it's referring back to something that was just said. And so last week, if you remember, uh, we talked about living a Christ-exalting life. And in order to do that, there are some things that we need to remember. We need to remember our standing, right? We, are ra- we have been raised with Christ. Our identity is now with him. We've, we're dead to sin. We're no longer defined by our failures. We're defined by Christ's righteousness. Remember that. Remember your standing. But also remember your calling. In light of this, in light of the fact that you've died to the things of this world, now we must seek the things that are above. We must set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Let our focus be on Jesus. Remember your calling. But also remember your Savior, who we are hidden in Christ with. And the amazing thing is, is that people often then will look at us and see the transformation that's taken place and saying, what in the world happened with you? And and we can say, it's not us. It's Christ. We're hidden in Christ. We're not hidden, remember, like Superman was hidden in Clark Kent. And every once in a while, this superhero comes out. We're a city on a hill, right? We're a light that you don't hide under a bushel. We should let our light shine before men, not to lift up ourselves, but to glorify God in heaven. We are hidden with Christ. Remember your Savior, but also remember your future. Our future is not here. We don't look to build up our kingdom here on this earth. And so we don't look to find our security in what the world has to offer. Our security is found in Christ alone. So in light of these things, he's saying, 
in light of your future that's coming, in light of the fact that you've been raised, in light of the fact that we've been called to set our minds on things above, to seek the things that are above, put to death. Put to death your sin. And so we're going to talk about three ways. Three ways that we can put sin to death. And the first way is this. Attack sin ruthlessly. Attack sin ruthlessly. And we see here that Paul does not approach sin lightly. He's not saying, hey, you know, you might have this little problem in your life. Let's see what we can do to kind of get better at it. Let's try to lessen that. There's, there's no lightness to sin for Paul. In fact, we, he gives us a very violent picture. What do we do with this sin that so easily entangles us? He says, put it to death. And when we look at sin in our life, we should not approach it flippantly either. We should not look at it as this is some kind of issue I have. We need to put sin to death. That means we need to ruthlessly go after that which trips us up. We can't look at it lightly. We must go after it full bore. Now, we first must understand something here. We can look at this in two different ways. And there's Christians who look at it two different ways. We could look at it as if our sin can take away our salvation. Now, I don't think Scripture says that at all. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we can lose our salvation. That is, an, that is in my opinion, and I think it's the truth. I think Scripture would back it up. That is an idea of the devil. What's more defeating in life than like to wonder whether or not you've sinned enough to lose your salvation? And so once God rescues us, his spirit will lead that to completion. Philippians 1, 6 is he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So when we talk about our battle with sin, we must be careful to understand that we don't fight off sin in order to earn God's favor or to earn salvation. Rather, man, you've been made new. Why do you want to walk in this way of life? It brings death. So you got to put that sin to death. So the fight against sin is not something that earns our salvation. Rather, we have a new nature. And we know that sin leads us and puts barriers up with our relationship with the Lord. And we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we must remember that. Nonetheless, in our coming to Christ, we have a new nature and that new nature is still fighting with the old tendencies, isn't it? That old sinful nature still creeps up on our lives on a daily basis and wants to tempt us to go back into the way that we used to live. And so we are in a fight. And sin does not play nice, does it? Relentlessly, day after day, it's coming after us. And when it comes to sin, there are no truces, are there? We don't meet in the middle of the battlefield and shake hands and say, hey, let's just, let's just be done with each other. Like sin doesn't work that way. There will be a victor and there will be one who is defeated. There's no middle ground here. We can't link arms with sin and think things are going to be okay for us. Somebody's got to die. And for us, we must put sin to death. Think of the illustration that I opened up with, with having a lion as a pet. And we treat sin like this cute little kitten, right? Like, oh, I love, now I don't like cats at all, so it really doesn't work that well. I like big, big, big cats, but 
just pretend you like kittens, all right? Kittens are cute. Like the little kittens, I mean, like they are adorable and you love them. And we can treat sin like that. Ah, it's just not a big deal. Look, it's innocent. It's just, it's just one time. Just this little thing. And so we take this kitten in. But that, if we don't deal with our sin, if we don't raise this kitten the way it should go, then that kitten's going to get bigger. And if you get a mean cat, like, they're nasty. I'm scared to death of, like, cats that haven't been declawed. Like, you know, and they get that hiss. And, like, that's what sin does to us. Like, we love this little kitten, and we're like, where did this little kitten go? And all of a sudden, the claws are coming out. And that's what happens with sin. We're not going to tame it forever. If we don't deal with it, it's going to become this big lion that we're not going to be able to control any longer. We need to take that lion out of the closet, and we need to kill it. We need to kill the sin in our lives. And what we see here is this list, uh, two lists actually, of some serious sins that really none of us are untouched by. Every one of us has been affected by these lists of sin. The first list starts in verse 5. Look back there again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So the Greek word there for sexual immorality is pornea. Does that sound familiar? It's where we get the word pornography. This is when we allow sexual sin to become consuming for us, where it even leads to actions, where we're having inappropriate sex with somebody that we're not supposed to. So before we look at the negative, let's, let's first of all be reminded of the positive when it comes to the, the subject of sex. Like first of, and foremost, sex is a gift from God. It was something that was created by the Lord. It's not something that is dirty. It's not something that we should hide as Christians. And yet for, for many people, we get that wrong. For many people, like Christians don't want to talk about it. And we want to hide. And, and I really struggled growing up as a Christian because here's how it was for me. And maybe you can relate if you grew up in a Christian home. It's wrong, 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 wrong. And then you get married and all of a sudden it's right. And, and for me it was a jolt to be, and to be honest, like the morning after our honeymoon. So we're on our honeymoon and I'm crying at breakfast because this thing that was wrong 24 hours ago was all of a sudden right. And I struggled to like, and it didn't take long, you know, like, it didn't take long to like, okay, this is great. But we must understand that sex is a gift from God. It is not something man-made. The problem is, is that man has made it into a God thing, has taken control of it, and it's gone out of control. We must remember first and foremost, though, it is a gift from God. But we can clearly see the world has perverted it. And Paul is warning of the dangers of sexual immorality. But it goes beyond the actual act of sex, doesn't it? It starts with our mind. It starts with our thinking. You see here, there's actually like a, uh, an, it's a reversal. So you start out with the, the end result of allowing our thoughts to go somewhere. But it starts with an evil desire. We have this thought come through our mind. Oh, wow, I kind of like that image. It may not be an image. Maybe it's a romantic novel. Maybe it's a, oh, this 
person was nice to me, and I don't really get that from my husband or my wife. I kind of like that a little bit. And we, it starts with an evil desire. Now, we could have a choice right there to say, this is of the devil. I'm putting it to death. But sometimes we start to play with that thought a little bit. And that evil desire becomes a lust. And that lust then can become a passion. Now, is it wrong to have passion over things? No. Should we be passionate about our spouses? Absolutely. Should we be passionate about the Lord? Yes. But passion can also lead us astray in the area of sex. The, the desire can be so strong that all of a sudden we are starting to act out on those things. But let's be reminded that sex is a gift from God that is to be fulfilled in the act of marriage between a man and a woman. Who are married? Anything outside of that is sin. And it separates us from God, not in an eternal perspective, but it puts a wall up in our relationship with him. So we have to guard our passions. Our passions sexually should only be fulfilled in the person that we are married to. If we are not married, then there's no avenue for that. And God's grace is sufficient for you. There's no avenue outside of marriage if we are married. It is only to be filled in marriage between a man and a woman. But if we don't guard those passions, then it leads to impurity, which ultimately will lead us to some kind of sexual act. And here's the thing. A person doesn't just wake up next to someone they don't know. Or next to someone who's not their spouse. It doesn't happen that way. It starts way back in the thought. And we know in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That's a common temptation. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Are temptations unbearable? They're not. God is faithful. With the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. He always provides a way of escape. There's no, we have no right, we have no truth. There's no truth in the statement that I couldn't help myself. That's not true. That's not what scripture says. God always provides a way of escape. But it's got to start with that thought that comes into our mind. You know, often in this area, Christians like to focus on homosexuality as like the, the chief sin. Certainly, it's, it's against God's ways. And yet, I see so many people who justify their own heterosexual sin because they're trying to point fingers at what's worse. And so we justify the fact that we can sit in front of a screen at home or on our phones. We can scroll through these images. That's... Well, Better than having sex with a person. It's that lion, right? That lion that we have in our closet that we're justifying as if that's okay. Or I know romantic novels can be an issue where, well, I'm not looking at anything, but yet our thoughts are being carried away. We have this evil desire. We long for something that we don't have. And ultimately, when you look at all of this, he ends verse 5, and it's covetousness. We're coveting something that doesn't belong to us. Which is idolatry. You see, idolatry is not some idol, some like idol at our house on a shelf. That's, that's one form of idolatry. Most of us probably don't struggle with that. 
But it's idolatrous when we are looking at an image of somebody or a thought of a romantic relationship that we don't have to find fulfillment. That is idolatry. And we must put this sin to death. Which means we must take drastic measures. You know, in America, like, it's crazy now. Because I can't even remember, like, when I didn't have a smartphone. It's hard to, like, wait, there was a time where I didn't? And then it's like, yeah, how, how many of you remember, like, even calling from, like, Indiana to Michigan, like, you got to be, you got to cut the time off because you don't want to run up the bill. Like, I remember doing that. I remember we had this super, super long cord on our phone. I know kids, you're like, what's a cord? Like, on a phone? Like, what is that? And I would pull it into our, the top of our st- basement stairs because then I could shut the door and have a conversation with the girl I was dating or whatnot. Like, you know, you couldn't just go anywhere and talk. You had to have that. But the, you know what the nice thing is? You go away on vacation, and guess what you didn't have with you? <laughs> you remember, remember how freeing, like, just think how freeing that used to be. And so if a phone scrolling through images is your temptation, what's a drastic thing that you should do in order to kill sin? Flip phones are still a thing. Do you know that? I think they're a little bit underrated, to be honest. Maybe that's the step you need to take. Paul does not treat sin lightly. There's also software you can get put on your electronics to where whatever you're watching, whatever you, comes before your eyes, that gets sent to somebody. You could have it sent to a friend who will then be able to see everything that you've scrolled. And, and some of these software things will, will flag anything that is questionable. But what's it going to take? If this is a sin that you struggle with, pornography is something that you struggle with deeply, you need to do everything you can to overtake it. Let me just give you a little bit of a warning here. Uh, I'll never forget this conversation I had with this guy. And this was while I was working at Gospel City. It's our sending church in Granger, Indiana. It was a Wednesday evening. I, I don't even know I was there, to be honest. I'm usually not there, but... Uh, I was there for, for whatever reason, and I remember a youth leader came to me and said, hey, there's this guy that comes in, and he looks, he looks very, like, out of whack, out of sorts. He's looking to talk to a pastor. Can you talk to him? And I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll talk to him. So he comes in my office, and he's being very vague to start the conversation. But you could see, like, he's very shaken, just very nervous and all over the place. And he begins to share how, like, you know, he's looked at some things that he shouldn't have, and, and now he's, he just doesn't know what to do. And so I'm starting to ask more questions, like, well, what do you mean? Like, there's different levels. And he began to share how it started out with just looking at, you know, regular pornography. And here's how sin works. Once you start that process, a lot of times what happens is it just doesn't satisfy, and you need to go deeper. Like, you need more. That's what happens with affairs. Affairs don't happen with a snap of the fingers because all of a sudden you're just caught in one moment of passion. Affairs happened a long time ago. And so this guy was caught in pornography at a young age. And it just became more and more and more enslaving to him. And it got to the point where he started looking at child. And he was at the point now where the police had confiscated all his electronics His wife had kicked him out of the house. He's like in his early 50s, I think. 
and everything is going to be swept away. And so, I mean, what do you say to a guy who's done that? <laughs> you're guilty, and you're going to get what you're going to get. There's grace if you repent. And so I prayed for him. He laughed. I'm like, what in the world? That was crazy. Two, three weeks later, I'm watching the news, and lo and behold, this, guy picture, this guy's picture pops up on the screen, and he'd been put in prison for, for what he had done. Now, it would be real easy to look at that and justify, well, I would never do that. But here's what happens with sexual sin. The more we give into it, the deeper we go. To the place where you might find yourself in this guy's shoes who's in deep trouble, whose life is ruined. He's thrown everything away. Don't look at that. That's, that's not a big deal. I'm not doing anything physically with anybody. Jesus says if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And I know this is not just a man thing. This is a woman thing too. We need to do whatever it takes to kill sin. And if this is you, my suggestion for you is to find somebody that you can confess to today. That's a drastic measure. Well, but, but my reputation will be on the line. Look, if you haven't gone as far as this guy, do you want to end up being humiliated on the news? Or do you want to humble yourself to somebody before it gets to that point? The greatest way that you're going to fight the temptation of sexual sin, I think, is to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ who can help you get pulled out of this muck. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let me just read a quote from John Owens. He said this. Let no man think to kill sin with few easy or gentle strokes. He who hath once smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that ever he began the quarrel. And so he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not constantly to the death. What is he saying there? He's saying, is, don't, don't think it's going to be easy. Don't think you can handle it on my own. You need to kill this. And if you start messing around with it, but you don't have intentions to kill it until it's gone, then you're going to regret it. And then I already said this, but he, John Owen said this too. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sexual sin is not the only sin that he mentions here that we need to take drastic measures with. Look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Not only is sexual immorality a major issue, so is anger. And the truth is, we all have an anger problem. I remember reading this shirt <laughs> and said, uh, the, the title of it was, Do I Have an Anger Problem? And there was one word in it, the whole chapter. Yes. I was confused, and I was starting to get mad. What, where's the chapter? This makes no sense. And then I realized, oh, yeah, I'm proving that right, that I have an anger problem. And some of you may say, I don't get angry, I get even. <laughs> As if that's not anger there. You ever get irritated? You ever... Oh, grind your teeth, that's something that happens. We all struggle with anger. And what Paul says to do with this is put it away. It's like an old garment or an old shirt. Anybody have one of those? 
Wives, does your husband have this shirt that he just won't get rid of? <laughs> put it away. Put on the new clothes. You've already, put, you've already died to your old self. Why are you putting that old garment back on yourself? Put it away. Be done with it. Don't even take it to Goodwill. Throw it in the trash. The first thing we all need to realize about anger is that we all have an anger problem. And anger is this. Anger is this. It's a strong emotional reaction of displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. Here it is right here. A strong emotional reaction of displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. And so we get this pent-in emotion of discord of deep displeasure that can, if we're not careful, lead to taking revenge or to punishing people. That's what anger is. Now, some of you might say, well, the Bible says be angry and sin not. It also says that anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which means don't stay angry long. Because if you do, it's going to turn to revenge or punishment. And so, admittedly, anger is not necessarily sinful, but the majority of the time, it does not take us to a good place. And that's why Paul is warning us here. Anger, if we're not careful, can lead to wrath. What's wrath? Wrath is like, it's like anger kicked up a notch. It's like the, the next step. It's like that cat that hisses at you. It's like the claws are out. That's wrath. Like you're ready to strike at any moment. Now, at the point of the beginning of anger, maybe you're not ready to strike. Maybe you're just like boiling up inside. But if you don't take control of that, it becomes wrath. You've got the claws out. You're going to strike at any moment. All it takes is one little click and you're done. And you're, you're going after it. That anger that has been fuming you has led to a place where you want to cause pain. And that's what malice is malice is now we are starting to take action to become physical because of the rage that is pent up inside of us. Maybe that's throwing a dish on the ground, throwing a telephone across the, the room. Well, those are like a thousand bucks now, so probably don't do that. Anger can also lead to slander. Slander is, a, is another word for blasphemy where we just want to destroy somebody with our words. You ever do that? Or your children, for those who are parents, I can't believe you did that. And we want to shame them. It's defamation of human character. Obscene talk. It's not necessarily just cuss words. But it's a speech that ridicules and embarrasses others. Do you see how dangerous anger can be when we don't take control of it? How many relationships do you know have been destroyed because of anger getting out of control? We are an angry society, are we not? I don't know if I've ever seen so much anger in our world than I do now. Let it not be so for us, Christians. We have a new nature. 
Let's be angry at sin, but not at the person. And so we've got to ask ourselves here, how, how has my anger been? And often the angry person doesn't know it. You may be here an angry person, and you, have, you just have no idea. I know this week as I'm talking, I'm like, i got to get up and preach on this. I am as guilty as can be on anger. And so my suggestion is, is look to your family. Ask them, do I have an anger problem? Here's the thing, though. If you are an anger problem, they might be scared to tell you. Because they're afraid of the retribution that will come their way when they say that. Are you ready to hear? You ready to humble yourself? And, or are you going to be ready to be? So, so many people I see are so defensive. And I'm the same way. I'm no different. But what does Paul say to do with sin? Put it to death. Put it away. So if you're going to ask that question, you better be ready to say, look, I'm blind to this. I don't know if this is an issue or not. I need your honest opinion. We often go to our kids and say, hey, what frustrates you? No penalties for you being honest with us. What, what are we doing that's tempting you? I, or do you think we're angry? And they've given us some pretty blunt things at times that have like, wow, I never realized that. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. If you have an anger problem, and if it is out of control and you know it, who else knows about it besides your family? Somebody else needs to hold you accountable. Maybe a drastic step for you to come forward at the end of the service and say, look, I have an anger problem. I need, I need help. I need prayer. Maybe it means going to a counselor. Don't keep the lion in the closet. It's going to come out and it's going to destroy you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. We must approach our sin ruthlessly. Attack it ruthlessly. Here's the second thing. Found in, look at verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Not only do we need to attack sin ruthlessly, we also need to understand God's view of sin. We must to help us fight our battle against sin, we must understand God's view of sin. Notice, because of sexual sin here, what's coming? The wrath of God. Now here's the thing about God. Everybody loves the loving, gentle, compassionate, abounding and steadfast love God. I do. So many Christians I see want to discredit as if, oh, that angry God was the God of the Old Testament, but he's a new God in the New Testament. You ever hear that? But what do we hear, what do we see elsewhere? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is an angry God. Do you realize that? He's angry at sin. Think about it this way. If you're unconvinced of that, what happened to Jesus? Jesus, perfect son of God. He was God. And yet, what did God do to his own son? With Jesus being willing, he didn't throw him up there without Jesus wanting to. Not my will, but yours be done, Jesus said. God put his son 
on the cross and poured out his wrath. In Isaiah 53, we see that it pleased God to crush his son. So do you have the secret sin of anger in your hearts? The secret sin of sexual immorality that you are justifying? Do you realize your Savior hung on the cross for that sin and God poured his wrath on him until Jesus died? Now listen, I don't say this to shame you. I have my own issues, my own guilt of these things in my life. But we must not think lightly of sin. Paul doesn't. God doesn't. God poured out his wrath on the perfect son for us. And here's the crazy thing. Wherever you're at right now, his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. So brothers and sisters, if you're struggling this morning, let me just encourage you, repent. Confess your sins. You will find help in your time of mercy. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But don't go on sinning that grace may abound. By no means, put it to death. He has already paid for you. But don't look lightly on your sin. Understand God's view. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the amazing thing. When we lay our sin down, we repent and confess Jesus as Lord, his righteousness is placed on us. And so we're going to trip up and fall along the way. But when God looks down on the genuine believer, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So don't lose hope in this, but don't look at your sin lightly either. It's this two-edged sword that's really easy to get off track on. Last thing is this. We want to fight sin with knowledge. Fight sin with knowledge. Look at verse 10. Having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. In our fight for sin, a great weapon we have is being renewed in knowledge. Fighting sin with knowledge, right? We just, we just wrestled through this previously in verses 1 through 4 of Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the scripture. Set your mind on what God's word says. Don't let the things of this world infiltrate your thinking and your thoughts. Let God's word be the one that fills you. And the reality is, many of these people probably were saved out of a lifestyle of sexual sin. And so they didn't know how to get out of it. They didn't even know any better. I'm flabbergasted at the amount of couples and there's grace, so, so don't hear me wrongly here. But like so many people now, couples love Jesus, not married, living together, sleeping together. As if they don't understand. Like, And so 
that's a lot of what this lifestyle is. They, they just didn't understand what they were doing wrong. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, fill your mind with the scriptures and understand that what you're doing is wrong. Repent of this. It's going to lead you away from the Lord. And so we grow in our understanding of what God loves through his word. I remember playing baseball in high school, freshman year, and uh, on the JV team. And so it was mixed with new players and old players. And uh, I didn't fully understand everything they were doing. They were doing these drills, and they were throwing balls here and there. And it was confusing at first. I had no idea what was going on, but I was new to the team. Uh, And it took me some time to study, to understand what was going on. And pretty soon, I was doing exactly everything else, and I knew where to throw the ball and where to look out for, and I was learning all the drills. And the same thing happens with the Christian life. We're, we're not saved, and then all of a sudden we know how we're supposed to live our life. Like we continually seek the Lord out because we want him to continually conform us to the image of his son. And he does that primarily through his spirit, through his word. Are you a man or woman of the word? We can't expect to grow in godliness apart from being in the scriptures. It just won't happen. Open up God's word. It's a treasure for you. It's not a rule book for you to have to follow. Are there rules that God gives us? They're boundaries for our protection. But we get Jesus in this. And the more that we understand that Jesus is supreme, it says there at the end of verse 11 that Christ is all and in all. When we understand it's all about him, And when we learn about who this Jesus is, it takes away the temptations of the world because we're no longer satisfied because we've tasted the world and seen that this is not good. And we've tasted and seen that Jesus is good. I think one main reason, another main reason why Paul wrote this, number one, that we want to become more like Christ, but number two, he's concerned about the community. He's concerned about how brothers and sisters are treating one another. And when it comes to sexual sin, I've been a part of a church where two pastors fell. It's a moral impurity. It's devastating to a church to recover from that. One of them was with a staff member's wife. And just look at the danger in the world. Look look at AIDS. Unwanted pregnancies. Why is abortion out of control? Abortion is out of control because sexual immorality is out of control. And when you are, have sexual relations with somebody, it binds you to somebody that you don't want to be bound to if you're not married. It's devastating. Of course, there's grace. Don't forget that. There's grace. But it hurts community and anger. How many churches are divided over anger? Over mostly minute things, aren't they? Isn't it like most church splits happen because Jesus is not center of the lives of those who cause the split. So we get angry about things that are secondary. If I'm preaching a different gospel other than Jesus, other than the fact that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through through Christ alone, then I expect you to get angry and I want you to get angry. But let's not get angry over secondary issues. I'm not going to go through them because there's many and I don't want to cause more anger. 
But what matters? Christ in all and through all. And he, the, why does Paul say this in verse 11? I think why he says there's no, not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, is because the people were, would judge others based on the color of their skin or based on their economic worth, based on their past morality. You see the, this barbarian, the Scythian, these are just people who were known for having outlandish sin in their life. But if your brothers and sisters have repented, that's, their old, that's the old them. But you also understand that you still, you still struggle and wrestle through your old sin. Don't dismiss somebody because they have a little issue with this or that. Like I've seen Christians get mad at other Christians who swear. And I, I'm not big on swearing. I don't think it's good for us. I, I think we should clean our talk up. But like I also think there's opportunity like it's not a it's not the best it's not the biggest thing in the world. And yet I've seen Christians like ch- choose to dissociate from others because they have a problem with their mouth. Raise your hand if you have some kind of issue in your life. Sin issue. <laughs> we all do, right? We're all broken in some way or another. That doesn't mean that we let it go. We don't just like frozen, let it go. It's going to I'm going to be me. That's, that's what the world is doing, though, isn't it? Let love be love. Love is love. We're not defined by our past sins. We're not defined by the color of our skin. We're defined by Christ. Christ is all and in all. Let us not forget that. And so, Christian, are you fighting your sin ruthlessly? You taking whatever measures it takes for you to overcome your sin. Are you aware of how God views sin? That he poured his wrath out on his son. Not so that we can do whatever we want to. But he does that so now we can follow him. You realize that? We're enslaved to sin before Christ. After Christ, now we can serve the Lord. Don't use your freedom to serve your flesh. Use your freedom to serve the Lord. Understand how God views sin. And then fight sin with knowledge. Get into the word. It gives the Holy Spirit something to work with. And believer in Christ, let us be united as a church. Don't let these things divide you. Don't let anger be something that gets in the way. If you ever have a problem with anything that we say or elders say, please come talk to us. We'll work through that. But believers in Christ, put sin to death. Let's pray. Lord, I know... These are some heavy things. And I am far from innocent in it. And Lord, my temptation here is, and my fear is that there would be some here who would, who would just beat themselves up. And so I pray, Lord, I pray that, that I did not communicate it in that way. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you take sin literally, seriously. You take it, and it came at great cost, the cost of your son Jesus. But he did it willingly, and he did it because we're sinful. And you've called for those who are weary in the fight. Lord, I pray for those who are weary in their battle against sin. Lord, give them the freedom to be able to come and repent so that they might find healing. 
And Lord, for those who have genuinely given their lives over to you, there's no condemnation. So God, keep their shame, keep that from allowing them to stay silent. And meanwhile, they have this lion that is ready to devour them. God, convict us of our sin for sure, but also remind us of your forgiveness. God, we need you. Give the proper balance there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I understand this is a, it's heavy for me to preach. I, I feel like I'm going to sleep all afternoon. <laughs> but I want to I give everybody an opportunity now just to, just to ponder some of these things. Sometimes we just kind of get up and go and we don't take time to really think. And so whatever posture you find best to pray, let's just spend some time praying. Maybe you find yourself like, you know what? And humbly so, you're in a good place. But, but you know of those who are struggling with sexual sin or struggling with anger. Use this as either a time to pray for yourself, seek forgiveness, repent of your sin if there's sin that God has revealed to you. Maybe it's a time for you to lift up a brother or sister who maybe you're struggling with anger towards because of the way they're living their life. Lift them up in prayer. So I'm going to give you a a minute or two to do that, and then Zach's going to lead us in a song. You can feel free to stay seated. You can stand at that point. But for now, let's just spend a couple moments just praying to the Lord, seeking him out, asking him to reveal if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of. And then at the end of the service, I'd love to talk with you if you just need prayer over it. There's no shame in that. There's more shame in hiding it. You don't want to be like that guy who was humiliated when he could have humbled himself years ago. Humble yourself. Mark will be up here. I'll be up here. We'd love to do that. And so let's spend some time now praying. And then Zach will lead us through a song here.